Welcome to KC Connect Podcast, brought to you by IBEX Employer Relations Team. Across this series of short episodes, we will provide insight and expertise on some of the most common challenges for our members and discuss the case law shaping the employer relations landscape. My name is Linda Reid, I'm part of the team in the Knowledge Centre, and I'm joined by Aoife McFadden, Senior Employment Law Solicitor. Now, this year has seen a vast array of proposed employment legislation, along with the requirements to transpose EU directives into local legislation, with many employers waiting for clarity on the dates of commencement of these pieces of legislation. Over the next 10 minutes or so, this podcast will appraise employers of some of these pieces of legislation and what timeframes we can expect for them being enacted. If we kick off with the most talked about Act, the Sick Leave Act, which was signed into law in July this year and commences in January 2023. So Aoife, I'm going to summarise the main features of the Act first. Mm -hmm. An employee with 13 weeks continuous service is entitled to three days sick leave in 2023, rising to 10 days over the next four years. So it will increase to five days in 24, seven in 25 and 10 days in 2026. To note, this leave entitlement is per calendar year. Employees must provide a medical certificate from the first day of absence and the payment for the leave is to be 70% of the employee's gross wage subject to a maximum daily rate threshold of €110. The regulation set out what is considered a daily rate of pay. So if you are an employer who does not have a paid sick leave policy in place, this legislation will be applicable to you from the 1st of January next. So Aoife, what employees are covered by the Sick Leave Act? This, this statutory entitlement to sick pay will be available to full-time and part-time employees. So a part-time employee who works three days a week will be entitled to three days sick pay uh, for 2023. So the days are not prorated. Um, so it's important to understand probably yeah. at the, at the uh, get-go. It yeah. is, yeah. And I suppose even the big question is what happens to existing sick pay schemes that employers already have in place? Well, there are two parts of the legislation that uh, deal with this area. The Act provides that where there is a more favourable provision within an employee's contract of employment in relation to contractual sick pay, any such provision shall be in substitution for and not in addition to an employee's statutory entitlement to sick pay. So it's either your statutory entitlement or your contractual entitlement. Then the second area of the legislation that provides clarity in this area is that obligations under this legislation will not apply in their entirety to an employer who provides his or her employees uh, with the scheme whose terms confer over the course of a reference period benefits that are as a whole more favourable to that employee um, than their statutory entitlements to sick pay. Okay, so what does the legislation mean when it says a scheme that is more favourable as a whole will provide an employer with the non-application of this legislation on their business. So it's quite a subjective test. It's not black and mm-hmm. white. Uh, so we will more than likely see referrals to the WRC on this issue. Um, the legislation sets out five areas to be taken into consideration when determining whether or not uh, an employer's private scheme is more favourable as a whole than what is offered by the statutory uh, sick pay scheme. So these considerations are service, what day the employee is paid from, how long they're covered for, how much they're paid, um, and how many times they can claim in a reference period. Mm-hmm. The legislation does not set out if you need all of these um, or just a portion of these areas to be deemed more favourable as a whole. Mm-hmm. So just these five areas are outlined as being the areas of focus when determining if the obligations under this legislation will apply or not to an employer. Okay. And I know some employers may end up with a two-tier system with their sick pay policies, mainly due to the issue of 
their service threshold. So, mm-hmm. for example, they might have a six to 12 month service requirement before inter- entry into the more favorable company policy. What are the considerations here for employers? Yes, yeah, so definitely the, the uh, service requirement or service criteria will have an effect that um, there will be a potential for a two-tier system to emerge in certain companies. Mm. Uh, the examples you could give in addition to that is like, for example, where certain employees are eligible to join the company sick pay policy after six months, and then you have employees that are on fixed-term contracts, let's say, for four, five or six months. They, they will never be eligible for the private scheme, but will qualify for the um, 13 weeks, uh, qualify after 13 weeks for a statutory sick leave payment. Another situation where a two-tier system might emerge is where different classes of employees are eligible for the sick pay scheme as part of their contractual benefits and other classes of employees are not. So uh, in these circumstances, um, we could only advise that a review be done to consider if any of the eligibility criteria be adjusted um, for the for entrance into the private sick pay schemes. For example, reducing the service requirement is one of the considerations to bring employees that would otherwise be excluded into the private scheme, thereby avoiding the uh, two-tier system. system yeah. yeah, but on a practical basis, it's uh, uh, you know easier said than done, as it's mm. relying upon the existing company policy being held to be more favourable as a whole than the statutory scheme, and also the commercial decisions required um, on are on a case by case basis for each organisation uh, determining the different classes of employee or the different um, uh, contracts that they're working under. However, the questions as to whether the policy is more favourable will ultimately rest in the hands of the WRC. So um, they will apply the five criteria that we've uh, mentioned there, service, what day the employee is paid from, how long they're covered for, how much they are paid and how many times they can claim in a reference period. period, Okay, so then moving on to the Work-Life Balance and Miscellaneous Provisions Bill. What's contained in this bill and when are we likely to see this enacted? So this bill um, amends primarily the Parental Leave Act of 1998, uh, amongst other uh, pieces of legislation. Uh, and it's become a very ambitious piece um, of legislation. There are now five key areas of reform that the legislation uh, will deliver on. Um, one, the right to request flexible working for mothers, fathers and carers uh, to be there for their children up to the age of 12 or 16 if they have a disability. Five days of unpaid leave per year for the purpose of providing personal or medical care to family members. It extends the right to uh, paid breastfeeding breaks from six months to two years. And the, now the two additional areas are the introduction of paid leave for the victims of domestic violence and the integration of the provisions of the right to request remote working bills. So um, I can't give a definitive on when the legislation will be enacted, but given recent government messaging, uh, we may see the bill enacted very shortly. It's passed all stages in the Dáil um, and is currently reaching the final stages in the Shannon. So employers should be looking at updating or introducing um, policies in these areas. Okay, so you know the the enactment of this legislation will be soon, if as you said there. But there's also a further stage before an employer is bound by this legislation. When will we see the commencement of the rights and obligations set out in this piece of legislation? Yes. So as we mentioned, that this legislation is covering at its core five main areas, which may commence at, at different times, mm-hmm. um, as there are prerequisites for for some of them to come into. Um, come into uh, force. For example, the right to request remote working requires a code of practice to be in place, which requires engagement of the unions and uh, employer representatives. So hopefully this would be underway uh, with the WRC in the spring. Okay. Um, and we would have been always saying that, you know, you can't, you can't um, commence this legislation until that uh, is in place. And then the second area, one of the recommendations in the domestic violence leave report states that the government should be providing templates, guidelines and policies 
uh, to support the implementation of this leave, together with resources and training. Uh, and IBEC has reiterated the importance of these supports being in place in advance of the commencement of the legislation. Okay, yeah. Well, you mentioned now the right to request remote working is included in this bill. Yes, the, the Parental Leave Act will now be home to the legislation. It's not going to be a standalone um, piece of legislation anymore. Um, it differs from the initial standalone draft bill. Um, for example, the 13 reasons for refusal are gone, replaced with the employer taking into consideration their needs, uh, the needs of the business and the needs of the employee, um, and then the requirements of what I mentioned, the, the code of practice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We move on to another area where there's been a lot of interest from employers, and that's the EU Directive on Predictable and Transparent Working Conditions. Now, this directive affects Irish employers in their use of exclusivity clauses, mm-hmm. the issuing of notices to employers who have unpredictable working patterns, employees, sorry, who have unpredictable working patterns, and also written notification in relation to terms and conditions. But the main area we're receiving queries on and have been for some time is on the proposed restrictions on the probationary periods to six months. Yes, uh, this EU directive, when transposed, uh, will restrict an employer's right to impose probation periods longer than six months on employees unless it's for an exceptional uh, reason, for example, where it's justified by the nature of the uh, employment or in the interests of the worker. And there's also an option to allow for an extension to a probationary period if the employee has been absent due to illness or on leave. So with the um, amount of time uh, that the um, probation is extended corresponding to the the amount of time they were absent. Um, So Ireland hasn't yet published the draft legislation implementing this directive. So, you know, we kind of can only really give you a high level um, overview of it. But most employers already include a six month probationary period with the option to extend. So they're just going to have to be cognizant that this right to extend is going to be limited um, once the uh, directive is transposed. Okay, so just to wrap up, there's so much more, but is there anything you would particularly flag to our, to our listeners today? Um, yeah, well, we've, uh, we can't leave out the commencement of the Protected Disclosures Amendment Act on the 1st of January 2023. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, but another area just to flag is the reform of the pension system, which uh, the government issued a press release on in September. Uh, setting out that the state pension age is to remain at 66, along with a series of other reforms, which include the introduction of a quasi-mandatory auto-enrolment pension scheme from January 2024 and we saw the draft heads of bill on this in September 2022 mm-hmm. um, then there's also the introduction of the flexible state pension system to replace the current system allowing employees to opt to postpone drawing down their pension from the current age of 66 uh, to the age of 70 yeah. uh, and then the third area of reform is the ability of employers um, for employees to use or fixed mandatory retirement ages. Uh, so the language in the press release in September uh, would indicate that there will be a restriction on the right to set ages, retirement ages below the state pension age. Um, and there is a provision for an exception to this um, rule, but the general rule that the press release indicated was that an employer will not be uh, able to retire employees before 65 66. Before 66, yeah, yeah sorry, yeah. 466, the mm-hmm. state pension age. So, so these three areas are interlinked, the state and occupational pension reform and the setting of uh, retirement ages. So employees need to be, employers need to be um, flexible in their approach uh, to, for example, request for longer working yeah. um, and retirement policies uh, in this time of flux. But we wait notification from the government before we can advise more comprehensively as to how the reforms are going to 
uh, pan out. So yeah. 2023 will be a busy year, Linda. Yes, we'll, and we'll, ha- we'll definitely have more to talk about this again, I think, Aoife. So uh, that concludes this episode. Thanks for listening. For more content like this, be sure to explore the audio hub on ibec.ie and follow ibec on Twitter at ibec underscore IRL. Thanks for listening. <laughs>